Welcome to a transatlantic take version of Out of Order. I'm Rachel Tausenfreund, GMF's editorial director, and I'm joined by two Germans in D.C., Markus Ziner, who is a professor of journalism in Berlin normally, but he's in D.C. Um, at GMF as our Helmut Schmidt follow for the year. Markus, thanks for joining me. Thank you. And Peter Sparding, an old good friend of the Out of Order podcast, occasional co-host, uh, also a German in D.C., although now you're a German and an American, right, Peter? That's correct. <laughs> Great. So um, last night, Germans went to the polls, and uh, because it's Germany and not the United States, we actually already have the results, um, but we only have the results of the vote and not the results of who's actually going to be in the government. And uh, and that's going to be uh, an interesting conversation. So Marcus and Peter, uh, that's what we're going to talk about. Who won the election? Who lost the election? What were the surprises? And what are the two possible coalition options. Maybe you guys are going to tell me there's a third. I only know of two. And what are the differences and how are they important specifically for European politics and for transatlantic relations? So that's what we're going to cover today. I'll start first with the numbers. So as I said, the votes are all in and counted. And the winner was the SPD, the Social Democrats, and their candidate Olaf Scholz coming in at 25.7 percent. Second place with their most uh, disappointing finish ever was the Union, the Christian Democrats and the Christian Socialists from Bavaria at 24.1%. Third place was the Green Party. You may remember early summer there was a moment where the Greens were in the lead, but that hasn't been the case for a while. And they came in at 14.8%. In fourth place and the other uh, member of whatever coalition is going to happen, the Free Democrats, the Liberals, who are at 11.5%, followed by the Alternative for Deutschland, who are over 10% again, 10.3%, but they are 2% down from the last election in 2017. Alternative for Deutschland is Germany's right-wing kind of nativist party. And the left party, Die Linke, which is connected to the former East German party um, and has traditionally been the party of the Eastern German states, is barely making it into the Bundestag. Um, they're actually under the 5% mark, but because they have enough direct candidates, they they will be in the Bundestag. But the Linke, very disappointing finish, 4% lower than last elections at 4.9%. So those are the, the basic numbers. That leaves us with, according to my math, only two coalition options. The traffic light, the Ampel, which is SPD-led with the Greens and the Free Democrats, or the FDP. And the in German, they like to call it Jamaica Coalition. We would call it the Jamaica Coalition, which is led by the second-place finisher, the Christian Democrats, or the Union, with the Greens and the FDP. So those those are all the numbers. Those are the possible coalitions we're going to talk about. But first, Marcus, why don't I start with you? What was your you know big takeaway from the night, the big surprise, or the most important event? Yeah, German politics have become confusing these days because we are not used to having so many parties and uh, to have so many parties that are not really having one big kind of leading dominant party, but uh, parties hovering around 20, 20%, 25%, 15%. So this is something that's really new. And um, uh, so for the first time, uh, we're probably going to see a coalition formed of three parties instead of two, which is a first for Germany. And um so my biggest surprise actually is the fact that it's the two small parties, it's the Liberals and the Green Party, 
who can decide over which one of the bigger parties is the one they want to form a coalition with. This is really interesting because otherwise uh, it would have been just like, you know, the big party is in the lead of uh, doing the negotiations and talking to the smaller parties uh, and, and trying to get them on board. But this time it's different. And it was funny to see that at one of the talk formats we had seen, it's called Berliner Runde, which is basically a kind of a, of a, of a round table of uh, all the party chairs of all the, the parties that made it into the Bundestag. And um, already the Greens and the Liberals started to, to kind of talk to each other and uh, leaving C, uh, CDU and, and, and SPD a little uh, on the side. Which, which I found very, very interesting because that's a little bit of a reversal of, of what we used to see. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a minute. There's this new thing in German politics, which is the Präsondierung, which is the pre-exploratory talks, uh, even though one would think exploratory is already as early as it gets, but no longer in Germany. Peter, what about you? What did you know from the night? First of all, I think there is a third coalition option that is the current coalition, the grand coalition. No one wants it, but we should remember that in 2017 also no one wanted it. And since other talks failed, uh, it came to be. So I'm I'm not assuming this will happen, but that is the one way out if other talks fail. So for me, the biggest surprise, which was not as much of a surprise anymore in the last few weeks, but um, if you look at it from maybe half a year ago, so is the is the result of the Social Democrats uh, because they were polling way below 20 percent, around 15 for almost the entire period, the last parliament. And so I did not see this coming necessarily. There were some people who who did say they're going to make a, a comeback, but I I think that's kind of remarkable. There there were a lot of commentaries uh, in the last few years basically already saying that the, the Greens would now be the leading party on the center-left side in, in Germany, and that was uh, the new normal. And um, I mean, yes, the result is such that the smaller parties appear to be in a position to be kingmakers, but with more than 10% ahead of the Greens, the Social Democrats are actually in, in a pretty good position on the uh, on their side of the spectrum, so to speak. I was in a discussion with someone from the SPD uh, a few months ago who was very optimistic about their comeback. And, you know, I was skeptical at the time. But now we have the situation that Mark was talking about. It's not just the SPD. That's a kind of, you know, big central party that's no longer getting 30, 40% of the votes. They're both in this position of being... Uh, 20 to 26 percent party, which is new in German politics and uh, leaves us with a very likely three-party coalition. So likely that I completely forgot the actually stronger coalition, which would be another grand coalition. I think it's I think it's will for forgetting, right? We all just don't want another grand coalition. Therefore, I forgot it's even possible, but it is indeed possible. So let's talk first about, you know, these coalition options. We're going to just pretend that there are two for the sake of this conversation. Um, and then, you know, we'll have to have a We'll have to have a 2.0 discussion if it happens like last time and all other options fail. So mathematically, the, you know, the stronger one, the one that the Green Party is saying is the more obvious uh, coalition at this point, that's not what the um, FDP is saying, is the Ampel or the Traffic Light Coalition, led by Olaf Scholz, Green second strongest, FDP um, third strongest. Um, you know, in a sense... The tradition would have it. Social Democrats came in first. They try to form a coalition. These would be the two partners they could um, talk to. As Marcus said, it's working, it seems, a bit differently this time. Um, And Lindner, who leads the Free Democrats, has said he's going to talk to the Greens and they'll sort of pick their bigger partners, almost how it's sounding. Um, But 
you know, we'll, we'll see what, hap- what happens with that. So let's talk about this traffic light coalition. Where are, where are the sticking points? What are going to be the very contentious issues, um, sort of briefly in terms of the, where the parties are, but then more focusing in on what's important for us, what's important for the Biden administration and their agenda, what's important for maybe European security and defense or European integration, where are the where are the alliances in this uh, ample or traffic light coalition, and where are the points of contention? Marcus, maybe I'll start with you. What do you what do you think? Talking about the points of contention, I think that um, uh, since the liberals are a fiscally conservative party, they don't want to increase debt, they don't want to increase taxation. Um, this is probably one of the points where um, I see dividing lines between. Um, the Greens as well as the Social Democrats. So this will be difficult to figure out between the two parties. So in a, in a way, it makes really sense for the Greens and the Liberals to talk first, because I think they are far apart in many on many fronts, and they have to kind of compromise. And Christian Lindner, the chair of the Liberals, had made it clear that he um, is requesting or is actually demanding the, the post of the Minister of Finance um, uh, in, in, a, in a future coalition which would then mean that uh, I think a couple of things the the, the more left-wing uh, Greens and Social Democrats ca- cannot really do. I mean, they want to increase spending and um, they are talking about increasing um, uh, the, the upper tax brackets in order to get more money for funding um, a number of programs. And I think that will be difficult to, to do with the uh, um, with the liberals. So I think that that's probably the, the, the most important sticking point here. When it comes to what do they have in common, and in particular looking at the um, look, looking at the, uh, um, the transatlantic relationship, and also on on how to de- to deal with the uh, with foreign partners. I think um, they have in common that they are the, the liberals and the greens are saying, well, human rights is is, is an essential is a, is a key thing for us in our future relations with China and with Russia, for instance. So that is something. Um, they both have in common. So they can agree on that, I think, easily. The SPD is a little bit on the softer side. They were pursuing a, a softer um, uh, course with Russia. And I think um, um, Olaf Scholz, since he's a minister of finance, he knows very well how important it is for the German economy to maintain good relations with China because we're selling so much stuff to China. I mean, just imagine Volkswagen is selling almost every second car, every other car they're producing, they're selling in or to China, which is, I mean, which is saving jobs in Germany as well. So he he will be very cautious on this front. Peter, yeah, I want to pick up on that point, this kind of Biden administration push for an, an alliance of democracies uh, and this kind of positioning of getting Europe on their side to stand fast against China and Russia. And I think the Greens even had it in their party platform, this alliance for democracy issue. This would seem to be, from a D.C. perspective, a good coalition in terms of having a robust Germany on their side in this kind of global, challenging political world. Or how do you see it? Yeah, uh, no, I think that's right. And maybe just to echo what Marcus said, I think on taxation, clearly that's that's a major sticking point and probably one where uh, the parties would neutralize themselves in negotiation. And so... Uh, agree on uh, no major changes uh, because I don't see the FDP agreeing to tax hikes, as Marcus said. Um, I think there's kind of an interesting paradox um, uh, for the two smaller parties because, you know, one of them will have to kind of jump over the 
uh, ideological uh, center line, so to speak. So either join a center right or center left led government. And the strange um, position of the paradox here is that whichever party does so, and let's assume for this traffic light example, the FDP would join the coalition with the SPD and the Greens, in, that puts them in a stronger negotiation position in, in a certain way, because um, they can they can demand certain things, including, as Marcus uh, said, positions. So I think that's one major point. So Christian Lindner is likely finance minister only in the traffic light coalition, whereas the Greens would claim that spot maybe in the if we had a Jamaica uh, coalition. So that's the uh, kind of kind of strange setup um, that we're now entering. So that's one thing um, on the on the foreign policy that you said. Um, I mean, the other dynamic that's happening is the uh, Greens and the FDP will be the new uh, um, parties in government. If you look at their leadership, none of them were around when the parties were last in government. For the Greens, that's uh, you know goes back to 2005. So these are all uh, newcomers. They will bring fresh uh, you know thoughts and and uh, hopefully some energy into uh, government. Of course, they also don't have the experience. That will be on the SPD or on the other case the CDU. So the SPD has been in government for the for 19 out of the last 23 years, and Olaf Scholz is the current vice chancellor. So this is the 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 other dynamic I'm looking at is the kind of new um, forces coming in, and especially on foreign policy, as Marcus said, there's some similarities I think between the Greens and the FDP when it comes to looking at countries such as China or or Russia, and then a, a more uh, steadfast or um, experienced SPD on the other side. Yeah, Marcus. Yeah, I just want to to uh, um, jump in here and, and not to forget the, the climate topic, which was uh, figuring high. And it's, uh, I mean, if, if you look here at the at the Liberals and the, and the Greens, I think there are two very opposing kind of positions here because the Greens are, don't want to paint it too much black and white, but the Greens are more tending to saying, okay, um, this is a pressing issue and we have to 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 give regulation to, to, to deal with that. So it's the state who has to tell the companies what to do and to what extent and when do they have to limit their CO2 emissions and um, we probably have to punish them if they don't do it. And so it's, it's more leaning towards um, giving the state a bigger say here. Now, the liberals are saying, well, let's use market forces to achieve that goal. They're not opposing it, but they're just simply saying, we don't want that much regulation. And um, we have um, the certificates, the CO2 emission certificates system. So let's just raise the price for those for those um, certificates to make it more expensive for the companies to, to have CO2 emissions. So in the end, they probably also we will achieve this goal of reducing our emissions just using different tools. This is also something I'm 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 curious to see how how the two parties uh, want want to want to reconcile on that. Yeah, that's a good point. There also in the talk shows last night there was there was this discussion, right? It's clear that the the liberals the FDP are willing to, you know, work on climate. They see themselves as a kind of future-oriented new ideas party. Both parties by the way got, you know, by far the biggest share of the under 30s vote. Right? So they are um, not only are they new in government, there's going to be a lot of sort of new staff coming in, but it's also the younger voters who voted for the um, FDP and the Greens. I think the uh, FDP got 20% of the under 30 vote and the Greens got 22%. Um, and the big parties got 11 for the um, CDU and only 17% for the SPD. So a lot of young voters um, also went with the um, liberals who will be energized on climate as long as it doesn't raise the debt or uh, require any new taxes. So that'll be interesting to see. 
both are, you know, want to bring energy, have a different, I would say, newer idea about German foreign policy, are are more willing to kind of be out there and be forward thinking on German foreign policy, also due to just uh, being a kind of new generation. Um, although what the details of that are, we don't really know yet. The third, though, is if you think about the EU and debt mutualization or some kind of bigger German uh, willingness to invest money or um, take over some EU debt, which has been a contentious contentious issue since the debt crisis. And here you would have had one answer probably from the SPD and the Greens together, but the FDP is certainly not going to sign up for that. So that um, seems to me also to be the compli- a very complicated point in where these three parties can come together on, you know, EU, Euro budget issues, debt issues on the European stage. Am I am I seeing that right, Peter? Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this is, we have to be to be clear about this. This is not a streamline. this wouldn't be a streamlined center-left government of, of some sort as, as we would see. I think you're right in saying that SPD and Greens would have different um, views, but that's not the result of the election. There, I don't think there's a majority for for this at the moment in in Germany. So yeah, the FDP has since the beginning of the euro crisis been among the staunchest uh, uh, oppositions um, to this kind of uh, thinking. Of course, we have uh, you know usually seen movement on these issues in the eurozone when there was a crisis. So it takes a crisis to to loosen the the restrictions, and I think that's uh, always going to be the the case again. Um, so not you know by itself there won't be maybe that much uh, big movement, but small steps here and there. And then in terms of crisis management, I mean, the commitment to uh, saving the euro or stabilizing it will be there, even if it's this kind of government, I think. So last question about the traffic light coalition, another issue that's related both to um, EU, important for the EU and for watchers in Washington, D.C., which is the NATO 2% spending and the debate about European capabilities, strategic autonomy, Etc. I believe both the Greens and the FDP didn't want to frame it around the two percent. They wanted to frame it around capabilities. The SPD has been relatively strong in terms of supporting NATO in this election, unlike how they have been in the past. Marcus, what do you see in this traffic light coalition of being Germany's new position on two percent spending for NATO and on increased uh, European and German capabilities? Yeah, um, this is a constant kind of um, a sticking point between, uh, in particular, the U.S. And, and and Germany. I mean, we all remember, I think, vividly how Donald Trump was lashing out against the Germans for not meeting that two percent goal. Um, it's, um, uh, I mean, but I mean, the, the question is, two percent of GDP spending on defense—that's one thing. But I mean, you have to um, look into. For what do you really spend that money? What, what do you what do you want to achieve? Just the spending money on defense is, is, cannot be a goal in itself. So, um, to a certain degree, I think the SPD is is um, and the SPD. I have to say, the SPD under Olaf Scholz is um, saying, "Well, we know our commitments. We know what we have to do. Our contributions will do that." But um, and and Scholz was was repeating the saying that repeatedly saying that um, uh, under his leadership. Uh, the Bundeswehr, the German army, got more money, uh, and uh, actually this was increased while he was uh, in charge, uh, which is not something that goes down that well with his uh, uh, party because there is a strong left wing of the Social Democrats. They probably um, are against that or think that um, spending money on defense is not not really what what what, what goes down well with, with the 
with the supporters. So that's that's something where it's not really clear. You know, I think the, the main problem with the SPD is, if you want to talk about the SPD here, I mean, it's we have we have Olaf Scholz who is a who is a centrist, and who was as mayor of Hamburg, he was a centrist, and he was a minister of labor under Gerhard Schröder, and he was he was a centrist, actually supporting the very kind of strict um, uh, loosening of labor labor laws in Germany, which led to to some economic to significant economic um, recovery. And for that, he was he got a lot of heat from his own party. So they put him up, um, not saying the poster boy, but he, he was he was the guy, actually, if you were voting for the SPD yesterday, you probably thought that you were for Schultz, you, you thought this is, this is the SPD. Um, now, are we simply waiting for um, seeing guys like Kevin Kühnert or Saskia Esken to step out of the come out of the wings and, 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 and voice their demands. Uh, and then we'll probably have a completely different SPD. And the SPD has a history in killing their 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 front runners. I mean, Helmut Schmidt is probably a good example here. Um, um, so that's that's really, um, we, we don't know really how this is playing out. Yeah, just for those of you who don't follow German uh, domestic politics, maybe as closely, Kevin Kunat was the leader of the young Social Democrats, and he's a sort of very high-profile um, left-wing candidate in the SPD. So he, he represents a kind of the left, um, the, the left, as does Saskia Esken, who was one of the two elected to be the um, head of the Social Democratic Party, who then, however, has been in the shadows since Schultz was uh, chancellor. But both of these are sort of strong figures that represent a much less centrist, a much more left-wing um, Social Democrats. And indeed, it will be interesting to see... Um, see internet, internal SPD coalition building after this uh, and where they position themselves because they they managed to maintain pretty strong unity during the campaign, which is part of the reason that they got this result, I'm guessing. We'll move on to the second possible option, which is the Jamaica uh, coalition union-led or conservative-led CDU, CSU, uh, with the Greens and the Liberals together. This would be, yeah, technically the sort of second choice coalition in normal times because the um, union is not in first place or the the union is the CDU-CSU together, again, for those people who don't follow it too closely. So I'm going to probably switch back and forth between the union and the CDU. So, yeah, I mean, Peter, you said in the traffic light coalition, in the SPD-led one, you have the uh, liberals who have to sort of jump from kind of center-right to join a left-wing coalition. In this one, um, you'd be then asking the Greens to sign up with two uh, right-of-center parties. So what do you think for the Greens would be the biggest sticking point, the biggest problem, the biggest hurdle to making this coalition work? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the um, polling among voters for each of the parties, the Greens or the FDP, it is very clear that the Green uh, voters would prefer their party to remain on the, you know, in the traffic light coalition and vice versa for the FDP. So I think it is a significant, it would be a significant jump. We should maybe note that both the Greens and the FDP are in either of those coalitions at uh, in different states in Germany. So this is not, and it's new on the federal level, but it's not like the parties have never uh, made this jump before. And especially one of the leaders of the Green Party, Robert Habeck, himself has uh, been involved in a Jamaica coalition in his home state in the north of Germany. So uh, there's some experience there. Um, I think the main question, of course, for Greens in this uh, in this setup would be a, 
uh, with regard to climate um, and um, all that relates to that. As I said in the previous comment, I mean, I think that would put them in the in a strong position to demand uh, quite a bit, especially with the CDU CSU being so weakened. We we saw yesterday already and the, this morning and the reactions the CDU candidate I mean Laschet who you know uh, is now responsible for the worst result of his party's uh, history and having lost uh, 8% or, or more than that um how he is um, you know kind of it's not like he has the image of the winner now so it's a little bit uh, tricky to to start um um you know uh, claiming the the mandate to form a government although he is uh, also for the reason that this is his only way out of this mess because he has no uh, fallback option really so I think um, the, that puts the Greens in an even stronger position, you know, to demand uh, qu quite a lot in, in this setup. Um, and, you know, the CDU with this, the only chance being how they could remain in government, really, um, in, in a pretty weak negotiation position. Um, and then, then we would have to see. But I think the same approach would go with them. They would first talk uh, amongst the Greens and the FDP. This seems to be the plan now on, on their side. And then see what the CDU would be willing to, to give them. So, Marcus, I mean, Peter said climate, right? This would be the thing that, at the one, on the one hand, would be partially hardest for the Greens to ask for, but the thing they would have to ask for to join this climate, and maybe the most likely. What would be, uh, I, you know, you said taxes and debt with the FDP in the uh, in the more left wing coalition um, is going to be an issue. So, with the with the conservatives, that's not a problem, right? They can agree no higher taxes, no higher debt. That's settled. Um, probably they can agree to continue the current rate of defense spending. The CDU has been pretty strongly, firmly behind that as long as it, you know, doesn't increase the debt. What's going to be, um, then the next sticking point, especially in terms of things, what about China, um, and kind of standing up to China when it comes to business interests? That might be difficult for this coalition, or don't you think so? Well, before answering that, I, I, there are two points I just wanted to, to add to what Peter said. I mean, I, I think in, to me, actually, it doesn't look very likely that this Jamaica coalition is going to, to, to happen, you know, because the, I think the voters of the Greens would probably feel betrayed if the Greens would team up with with the with the with the with the, with the CDU, with the union, um, because I mean, the, the CDU, I mean, they, they lost um, heavily and to make them to put them in the driver's seat with a very weak candidate, I mean Laschet, who, who really was a was a lousy candidate, to be honest. And um which this is probably something um which is not going down well with green electorate. So that's 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 one caveat. Second thing, I mean if I put myself in the shoes of the Greens and I would have to sit on the table and negotiate with the union and with the with the liberals and to make my my case for having a climate government, that's what they say, Klimaregierung. And I'm 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 wondering how 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 that 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 goes. I mean, you have a front of two rather conservative parties, and you as the Green Party, which has done not so well, at least not from if you if you compare that to the expectations. And then you have to kind of extract out of those two partners um, concessions. I I don't I don't know. I, I I simply if I would be head of the Green Party, I probably would think that that's not really that sounds not good. So um, th that's just just from the from the outside, and and in terms of um, business interest, um, yeah, China, other countries. The one thing is to say something as long as you are in the opposition. You can always demand, okay, human rights, 
we have to do something. We can't just let it happen and let it go. And we don't can't make business deals with the country that is putting putting their people in in, in education camps. And so this is the one thing. But once you are in government, once you are in the position that you really have to negotiate, and then the real politics comes into play. Well, probably things look a little different when you start talking to to the heads of big companies. When you when you when you see that prices are rising and and uh, probably see layoffs, we talked about that. So there must, I guess, there will be a kind of a sobering moment here um, for for uh, those ideas. So I have always been a bit skeptical of this, you know, Schwarz-Grün conservative green coalition that everyone has been talking about. When it looked like the two of them together could form a coalition, because. Maybe they, there's room to come together on climate. Um, you've seen this in southern Germany. But, you know, the Greens are also pretty clearly positioned as the most progressive German party, more progressive in the sort of American sense than the Social Democrats, clearly. Um, and then you'd be asking them to join up with the more conservative option. That seems difficult to me. That's always seemed difficult to me. Uh, and then when you want them to do it with two conservative parties— uh, it only increases, but that maybe also increases um, Christian Lindner, the head of the um, FDP, his room for new maneuver on this. Peter, I think you wanted... Uh, yeah, no, I think you know, it, it, the interesting bit in the negotiation kind of um, dynamic we have now is that, you know, as I think Marcus is right, like it seems unlikely that you would want to join the losing side, so to speak, for negotiations. But of course, you'll never say this uh, or even hint at this because you need to keep up um, th this dynamic. So for the Greens and the FDP, they're basically in a position where they could say, we have two options and you, CDU and SPD, basically only have one. Although, of course, they theoretically have also the Grand Coalition in their back pocket. But so that is why, you know, you want to at least, you know, play them against each other as long as you can. That's at least, you know, the public view here. I'm sure there's a lot of talk in the background already that doesn't have to do this kind of, um, kind of, uh, you know, uh, put a put a face on it like this. But, but that's what we're um, seeing there. The other thing I just thought is interesting, um, I mean, it, w there is an issue, um, what Rachel just mentioned, there's, there's sticking points beyond uh, climate, of course. And one reason for this is I think that the CDU, after this result, or the CDU-CSU, will have a lot of infighting um, between their wings. And, you know, you can already hear uh, some comments from Bavaria that uh, there's, there's a lot of um, unhappiness about how this campaign went, obviously. So I think there's a there's a debate forming there a bit on um, overall direction. You know, does this party, after the 16 years of Merkel, who was more of a moderate uh, leader, move back to a more conservative stance, which is what some of their um, leaders are hoping for, or does it not? And you can see um, really interestingly in, in Germany, very vast geographic uh, chain, uh, differences in the results. And so, for example, the CDU did really poorly in the East um, and has its, you know, strength still in the south but in the in the east you know there's the, the the challenge from a further right wing party to them so their leaders are probably looking to move further in that direction and whereas there might be others who want to emulate the Merkel um, tactic of, of getting votes in the center so I think that dynamic in, will also you know maybe not today although you can see signs but once uh, there's a there's a chance there will be some reckoning on, on their side and it won't be very pretty I assume. No, probably probably not very pretty. There's another entire podcast we should have about, you know, how it is that under the tenure of an East German chancellor, her party lost East Germany, basically. I mean, that's what happened uh, in these years. And I'm not saying that, uh, you know, that Merkel's in any way to blame, but 
it coincides at least uh, temporarily. So, it's, but we don't have time for that. I mean, there is just the one point to make. Yeah. I mean, there was a state election in Merkel's home state yesterday this. in Mecklenburg-Vorpommern, and the Social Democrats got close to forty percent there, and the CDU is barely in the. You know, she, they are over in the double digits, but barely. So. It, it is an interesting question why and she is still the most popular uh, politician in the entire country, but it didn't have an effect in, in that region. Yeah, that's true. In her region, you know, the um, CDU votes went to the SPD, which is true in a lot of regions, uh, and then in some to the to the right wing party, the AfD. So, um, you know, we talked a lot about these the complicated pictures and the divisions in the party and the differences between the liberals and the greens sort of canceling themselves out. So if you had to pick one top line, what might change from German politics uh, in the years of Merkel? What what might change in this new coalition either way, right? If it's going to be in traffic light coalition, what's different? If it's going to be either way, is there anything new that we should be either happy about or worried about, Marcus? Um, <clears throat> let's, let's put it this way. Um, I, I think, I think after 16 years of of chancellorship of Angela Merkel, it becomes very clear how um, how important her stellar reputation was for also giving the party a boost. Right? This is funny. Although one has to say, not always the, the, the election results under Angela Merkel were not always excellent, but at least they were not 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 in the, at that uh, um, level. As we see it today, I think her worst um, electoral result was somewhere in the range of 33%, uh, which, I mean, I think the CDU would be quite happy, actually, if they would. Thrilled. Have I think thrilled so, would be the worst. <laughs> so I, I, I think that I, there's a lot of talk here about, okay, now with Angela Merkel gone, is it is it now Emmanuel Macron who's taking over because candidates and uh, the other candidates, whether it's Scholz or, or Laschet, they're simply not, not, not well known and probably not experienced enough. And um, uh, this is, this is, this is um, I think, a major point. Who's going to, to, to be in the lead in Germany and, and uh, in, in, in Europe? And I, I believe that um, uh, we, we see a, a void here for, for the time being. In brackets, I have to say, well, Emmanuel Macron is facing an election himself next year. So it's also not not a given that he's get, uh, getting reelected, but I think that's that's what on uh, on on many minds to see. Okay, how how is this playing out? What, what does it mean? Does it mean that Europe is without leadership? Um, um, if such an experienced experienced person like Angela Merkel is missing now, what is what, what can we can we still count on Europe? All, all those questions. That would be my my take here on on, on your question. So, at least for a while, less. German leadership at the on the EU stage. That sounds uh, great. Uh, Peter, what have you got for us? Well, I mean, the, the positive, let me try the positive spin on this first. So I think if you're looking at the results, there's a few things that people who look at this from the outside should be happy about. For one, um, a very stable democratic election. You could see this. Uh, this is, I mean, you wouldn't have had to say this 10 years ago, uh, but now you saw yesterday in the talk shows. And so very uh, nice, um, you know, congratulations from one side to the other, and it was all very civil. And that nowadays is uh, remarkable in some cases. So that was good, and gives some reassurance about the overall stability of the system. Also, so no the, questioning of the results or anything. Everyone agrees on the number. Although there were even some, uh, you know, electoral mishaps in Berlin, yes. which is unusual for Germany. But no, no one, not even the far right, as far as I could tell, 
has questioned the results. So that is also a, a good development. Um, I think uh, the, 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 if you want to pitch it in the positive way, you could say there's the chance for a coalition, let's say, for example, the traffic light that combines experience and a new win, right? Like So Olaf Scholz is very experienced. He's a vice chancellor. He's also a bit older uh, than the leaders of the FDP and the Greens. Um, so I'm, you know, maybe not on day one, but he's not uh, that far away from uh, from the level or stature of someone like uh, Macron in international figures. And then you have the uh, FDP and Greens who have not been in government for a while, who will want to show something to their voters who just gave them this result. So there will definitely be new emphasis, and especially for the Greens, obviously climate. But I'm, you know, there might be issues we don't think about right now. Um, so that would be my positive spin. You have a good mix. Negatively, of course, we now have to have a coalition that, uh, as I said, crosses the the center line ideologically. So it could be a, you know, there couldn't could be a situation where there isn't much movement. So if you're looking at this from other European countries who are hoping that Germany will, you know, basically this election would deliver a decision in which direction German Europe policy or so would go, that's not the result you're seeing. So as we discussed in, in the last few minutes here, it seems unlikely that Germany by itself will make any big moves on the on the euro um, setup. Um, so that, that would be my, my negative take. But overall, I think there's not much to worry about from the outside um, in terms of stability in Germany, there might be some something to worry about about German inaction, but that's not a new new worry for observers. Yeah, let, let me just j jump in quickly. I, I really want to, to second here what what, uh, what Peter is saying. I mean, if you look at other countries in Europe, if you look not, Macron probably again facing uh, Marine Le Pen, right wing populist. Um, if you look at Boris Johnson, who has also a very populist side. Uh, if you look at Poland, Hungary. Austria with Sebastian Kurz, who also um, has, a, has a tendency of populist uh, populism. So I, I guess we can be quite quite happy, actually, the way it is. And, and with the AFD uh, reduced uh, to 10%, which is still 10% too much, but okay, 10%. And then you have the, the links party, the left, um, that, that didn't even make it into the parliament, only through um, a different way that they, they will be represented in parliament, but they went, they didn't make the, the 5% threshold. So I think that's by and large, that's, that's a good development. And that, that yeah, as, as Peter said, that's stability, basically. Those sound like two good optimistic notes to end on. Um, indeed, we didn't talk about it much, but the, you know, the far right party fell. I mean, it lost to 2.3, which is really good without the conservatives sort of moving to the right to to counter that. So you you really see in this election a strong German center. Now that center might have uh, some more inertia than we would like it to have. Um, or maybe yeah. Peter's right in his optimistic vision and, um, and we'll come uh, next time we talk, we'll have a traffic light coalition that that marries experience and energy. Um, and um, we'll be surprised to see how much Germany is uh, moving and shaking in the international realm. We can hope, right? Yeah, I said that was the optimistic. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I that's the likely outcome. <laughs> I, I know, I don't. Inertia is the is the expectation, the baseline. Yeah, well, I I, I always like to go optimistic, especially at the end, and uh, especially in these times. So uh, let's let's uh, we'll get back together maybe before Christmas, they're saying, uh, when we finally have a coalition and uh, and see how right we were or how wrong. Thank you very much, Marcus and Peter. Hopefully uh, people are uh, 
tiny bit less confused than they uh, were before they listened to us or they at least know what to hope for. So, Peter, Marcus, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.